Welcome to the Psychology of Case Management podcast, the show that helps you use psychological ideas to strengthen your relationship with your catastrophically injured clients and their professional network, so you can achieve more for your clients and feel more fulfilled in your role. Hello, welcome to today's episode. I'm Dr. Shabnam Berry Khan, Director of PsychWorks Associates, and today's episode is on stress and stress management. Stress is a word that gets banded about an awful lot. And um, for the right reasons, it is something that all of us humans on this planet will experience time and again, and none of us are immune to it. And certainly, if we're working in the personal injury world, we may even be exposed to more of it. And this podcast is to really acknowledge that, to normalize that stress is something that is real not just for us, but also for our clients. And in acknowledging that stress is present in the personal injury world, whether in the professional element or the client element of that world, we have a duty, we have a responsibility perhaps to think about that and to try and minimize stress because we all know that stress can really interfere with the jobs we're trying to do and what the client is wanting to achieve for themselves, which is a life they would have had had it not been for the injury. So no pressure. (laughs) Well, what is stress? It is our bodily response, our mind response to, in fact, pressure or threat. Many different situations or life events will be perceived, um, as psychologists would say, as a stressor. And that might be something that is unfamiliar, something that was unexpected, something that threatens who we are, those we love, and where we feel that there might be little control in our lives. And our response to those stresses is what psychologists would call a stress response. And that stress response is very individual. We all deal with stress in such different ways. And that is partly linked to our genetic predisposition, our personality styles, but there are also sort of early life experiences um, and perhaps events that make it easier or more difficult for us to cope with stress, sadly. And um, there might be more socioeconomic factors that also mean that we deal with stress differently across the board. But one thing we do know that when we have hit our particular threshold of stress, our body will produce the stress hormone, cortisol or adrenaline, and that will mean that we jumpstart into a sort of fight-flight response, which helps us quickly respond to those threatening stresses or those situations that are stressful. In that sense, stress is actually quite helpful. It helps us push through uncomfortable or difficult situations that we might find ourselves in, things that would otherwise be a barrier. So for example, attending a meeting that we really don't want to attend because it's going to be tricky for some reason or other, but we have to attend it. It might mean that as we're thinking about a grievance within a care team, that we have to do it to the best of our ability. So we will search for the ways to do that. It makes us basically work the hardest we can possibly work for our clients to get the best outcomes for them, as well as in a way that is based on, I guess, our abilities and our experiences. 
But we also know that too much stress can have a negative impact and that a prolonged sense of stress can leave us feeling overwhelmed, unable to cope, feel so much pressure that we perhaps end up feeling anxiety, depression, and perhaps even burnout. So I guess when we think about that bell curve, where to some degree we need an element of stress to help us perform optimally, once we surpass that, we are dipping downwards into poorer performance with increased levels of stress, which is not a place we want to be at all. And certainly not what we want for our colleagues or indeed our clients or their families. So the impact of not managing our stress is huge. I think the other thing is that stress that we bring because we're human and we have had lives and we have lives outside of our professional roles means that we're going to bring a certain flavor to our relationships with our clients, however much we try not to. And, you know, that is part of how good we are at coping. But sometimes it is just a difficult day. But there is interaction. Obviously, our clients may have also had a difficult day. But the inter- I guess the point I'm trying to make is that the interaction between us and our clients within our stress responses and our stress experience, stressful experiences can compound situations. And I think we have to be aware that the management of stress is not an outward facing role. It is not something that our clients and families need to do and that we don't have to do. And equally, it's not something that we only uh, we have to do to uh, improve the relationships with our clients and to improve the, um, the outcomes that we can try and achieve for our clients. Because actually, we need to encourage stress management across the board. It is a sort of universal responsibility, you could say. So in thinking, having that in mind and thinking about how we can think about stress and manage stress across our clients and their families, our professional networks, care teams, therapy teams. Um, We have with us Dr. Alice Nichols, clinical psychologist with PsychWorks Associates, who is going to talk through it with me. Welcome, Dr. Alice Nichols. Hi, Shabnam. Thank you for having me. Okay, so stress, that's a big topic. Stress is a two-way street. It's something that the work we do as professionals is impacted by the people that we're working with and the stress that they're experiencing. But actually, we're bringing something that could be stressful to the situation as well. I'm wondering if a good thing might be to help our audience think a little bit about the psychological theory around stress. Yeah, sure. So stress is a bodily response to threat. So, um, you know, it's kind of come from our our most ancient ancestors in in that when when there's threat, our bodies react in a way to keep us safe. So our fight, flight or freeze response um, gets activated. And that's really designed to get us out of immediate danger. So um, although when we're stressed now, we might not be in immediate danger, our brains are still really caveman brains and they um they don't really know any better so they they're still triggering that same response that would have got us out of danger if we were being hunted by a tiger and that's not quite as helpful as it used to be so so Mm. it it was great when we were running away from tigers and you know it still would be if you if someone tried to mug you in the street it probably still would be helpful but right now if we are worrying that we've upset a co-worker or remembering being in a car crash 
our threat state is still getting activated and we're still getting that surge of cortisol and that mm. fight, flight or freeze response. Actually, with those things that we're able to think about that are actually in the past or in the future, we're able to keep our threat systems activated all the time. And that just leads to the exhaustion and fatigue. And it, it can eventually lead to burnout as well. So unfortunately, the, the legacy of our caveman brain combined with modern day life and our ability to think about the past and the future means that we're in a position where we are able to keep ourselves stressed all the time. And, um, you know, I say that like we're doing it on purpose. We're not doing it on purpose. You know, these mm. when, when things are threatening, our minds are automatically drawn to them because of threat being um, so important for our survival. That's really interesting. Thank you for that. So there's almost an automatic element to it that mm-hmm. we almost have to think about counteracting in order to be able to effectively survive in the day and age in which we live now is that fair to say yeah absolutely there there is something very automatic about it but what I would say is a lot of the time when we're stressed we're stressing about something that's either already happened or is going to happen in the future right and actually we have so we we are in some respects able to control that because if we don't necessarily have you know if we um if we're living in the moment then unless we're being chased by a tiger or we're being mugged, or um, I don't know, we're having a slanging match with someone, we aren't an immediate threat. So it, it is automatic, but equally, we do have some control over it. So, or we can learn to have some control over it. Right. And I guess, I guess the pitfall of not thinking about how to manage the manageable elements of stress, you know, which are very much so internal processes, and thoughts and feelings that we are experiencing ourselves burnout is real I mean we use that term usually in 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 the work setting but actually you know it happens to to people outside of the work setting because stress is not a you know sort of setting specific experience is it yeah and of course I've used really big examples haven't I so far but actually Mm. there are really small stresses every day that kind of build up or have a cumulative effect as well so Mm. I don't know like thinking you might have forgotten to put your kids book in their book bag things like that you know they they don't represent a massive threat but there is still a threat in there oh no I might have failed to do something important or you know people might think something bad of me or if mm-hmm. I don't get this report here in time you know people will think I'm um I'm lazy or I'm not I'm, so do you see what I mean there are some much more mm-hmm. subtle stresses that happen every day you know if I don't get dinner on the table at five then you know people won't be able to do what they need to do this evening and all, all of those things, they're all, they're all our threat system getting activated. And, and actually, there can be lots and lots of tiny stresses every day. So not always um, a big event. It can be lots of little tiny events too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, life is a mixture of all of those things. And we know that our stress capacity is finite. It's not just something that, you know, it, it's like an endless pot, if you yeah. like. And, and we have different sized pots too, don't we? So, yeah. so um, you know, if we're in pain or if we have sensory issues or I'm just thinking about our clients just with varying levels of ability, we don't all have the same amount of stress. So what, what stresses out one person might not stress out another person or, you know, the, that capacity, it's, it's finite, but that doesn't mean that there's like a set amount of stress that we can handle either. No. 
No, that's right. And perception plays a big part in that, of course. Mm. That's really helpful summary of stress and how it really can impact all of us. It's a biological function that originally was related to our, you know, sort of prehistoric times, um, mm. but but is now something that is it, it's it has a function, but it, it's not as functional as as it can be destructive if it's not considered consciously uh, mm. it's not something that will just go away I don't think um, and certainly hasn't in in my experience of you know yeah. my you know stress client stress clients and you know come through my clinic when we talk about stressful situations and stressful experiences to the case management sort of personal injury case management world that you know we're talking about those big droplets of mm. stress into that finite different yeah. size container yeah you add a trauma into that that, that finite container you and if you put a trauma in there yeah. then actually the capacity is is already really limited isn't it yeah there's almost no room for little things or rather little no. things can make it seem like the person is tipping over the edge because their book hasn't been put in their book in the child's book bag yeah. but actually it's because they're carrying an awful lot in the first place it's the it might be the trigger experience but it's not the cause so to speak um and having that in mind is i think really important very um supportive to the client the kind of clients that we see in case management and personal injury so if you were to think about ideas that are supportive to stress management and i i I think i'm i am at this point throwing everyone into the pot um that is sort of general ideas that are supportive to professionals and to our clients actually the process that which we would want to think about um how to first how to manage stress and how to think about tackling those bigger stress issues or indeed um those small chronic everyday stresses you know, there are, there are a few ideas. Recognising signs and symptoms, I guess, is uh, the first thing. Without yeah. that recognition, you're kind of not going to know what you're aiming at or what you're, you know, what you're trying to, to achieve or change. Yeah, I think this is a really nice first step, actually, but both for ourselves and for our clients and the people that we're working with in the broader care system and the family system is, is actually looking at what are the person signs? How do you know that they're feeling stressed? How do you know if you're feeling stressed? Are you are you reaching for the for the wine at five o'clock? Mm-hmm. Are you are you staying up late because you just want a bit of time to yourself and you're not getting it? Are you are you snappy? Um, are you snappy at people? For clients, you know what what are their signs? Are they? I'm trying to think about some of my clients again. People are feeling a bit snappy, so people maybe reacting in a way that seems disproportionate reactions from people people you know being tearful is a really clear sign sometimes you see people shut down sometimes people might just not want to see Mm -hmm. you or they might not be responding to calls or phone calls or they might I mean I think it can go either way sometimes you get um I'm thinking Mm -hmm. more about families now you might get a lot of contact when someone's stressed or you might actually get um a complete lack of contact but it's getting to know that client and their family and actually what their pattern is. Um, you know, do you get called in a crisis or actually is it, do you hear about a crisis a week later? What's, what's the situation? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's quite true. So that you can see how that could actually be quite tricky when we're thinking about our clients and the signs and symptoms that they might present, because we're not there all the time, of course. And sometimes in that moment of 
meeting our client um, after, you know, every fortnight or whatever it is. It's different for different clients, clients, of course. I guess it's about setting that relationship up so that you are able to recognize change and to observe something that's perhaps a bit different or to have to be able to have conversations about challenges that are being experienced at the moment that are, that are impacting on well-being in some way because mm. it's stressful and I guess it comes back to our point of making sure that that rapport and that therapeutic alliance is there mm. but it, it it's not always easy with our clients and so sometimes I feel that you do have to be quite systemic in recognizing those signs and symptoms care notes are, can be really helpful supervision with care team members mm. can be really helpful as way of ways of monitoring what the signs and symptoms might be obviously family members can be very helpful with that mm. as well actually it's a really nice conversation to have with someone when you're building a relationship with them is to say oh you know what happens to mm. you when you're stressed how would I know if you were stressed what what, what does that look like for you that's yes. quite a nice thing to, like a nice conversation to be having and actually you could have the same conversation with the family couldn't you when you're meeting the family you could be asking yeah. them what does the client look like when they're stressed and, and and also what do you as the family or as the care team look like when you're stressed so they're quite good conversations to have both for kind of um getting your head around it um but also mm-hmm. um getting the therapeutic alliance up and running yeah definitely there's nothing worse than talking about what how to fix a stressful situation when somebody doesn't necessarily understand your stress the size of your stress pot and the things that have that contain that that are contained within that Um, and then trying to fix the problem somehow or to make it better I think it's a really good point and I'm I'm not sure that that that's that's necessarily a part of a sort of like an INA for example with a with a client um, or you know it might be something that a psychologist talks about but actually it sounds like what you're suggesting which is a really good idea that maybe it's a question that every professional working with the client um would do well to to understand yeah I think in terms of their assessment and actually thinking about families and care teams if you're asking them how the client looks when they're stressed that's also useful for getting them to Mm -hmm. start to recognize the signs too isn't it so actually just to increase their awareness from from early on and of course the same is for goes for us as professionals it takes a lot of, I, I have found in my own life, it's taken quite a lot of practice to recognise what, what a feeling and a thought might be about and the impact it has on me. I'm so used to being busy and I'm so used to working in, in, in a way that actually doesn't give a lot of space often to, um, to think about a new impact that's, that something's had on me um, because I'm almost always functioning at quite a, a sort of fast-paced level so it's, it takes me particularly quite a lot of effort to to work out how something made me feel and what was it that put me in a bit of a foul mood to be honest with you I'm like my you know my swear I know my, my husband will often say to me you're swearing you're swearing again <laughs> that's oh, like me that's, that's one of your signs yeah that's one of my signs for sure <laughs> and it's it, you know to be able to have that open um conversation not only with myself but also with those around us it's um in the same way we would for our clients it's a it's a really helpful way to to be a bit reflective about the impact of your day or that event on you um Mm. so it's it's not as easy as it sounds no Uh, I was um, thinking 
as a psychologist, we talk about this in supervision quite a lot. So it's something I would perhaps take mm. to supervision and, and um, I would say I'm feeling stressed. Or maybe my supervisor actually would say, how are you, how are you feeling? And we'd mm. talk about my stress levels. Mm. Not in any great depth, you know, they're not my therapist, but I would, I would discuss, I would say, oh, actually, do you know what? I'm really stressed about this and this. And we would then hold that in mind as we talked about the clients. Do you do that in case management? Is that something you do? Yeah, it's a good question. We do have supervision and I think supervision varies greatly. I've had a range of different types of supervision in my in my time. Mm. And I would say that it's it's probably something that I've brought to supervision as a supervisee rather mm. than it being there as part of the structure. Now, that could have just been the people who were supervising me. Um, and certainly yeah. now I've got I've got a good relationship with my supervisor and we do have that built in now uh, as default. But I'm, yeah, I think it's something that, that supervisors and indeed supervisees in the case management world, regardless actually of whether you're just a case manager, you know, and thinking about your role. But I guess any professional working in personal injury that it, it it's part and parcel of acknowledging you as a person in the work that you do, that you're not just a sort of machine or an agent, you know, that, that only looks outwards towards the client and the work that, that needs to be done on, you know, on behalf of that client, that you yourself, it, it's incredibly validating, actually. And I, I'm not sure that it's as built into professions outside of psychology, actually, yeah. um, as it probably ought to be and you know I'm, I'm sure there's there is certainly a correlation between the types of supervision you get and that feeling of stress slash burnout dare I say mm. I mean I'm a big fan of reflective supervision and that's certainly um, a podcast to be had because I think without that ability to focus on yourself and to think about how something is impacting you it makes life much harder and and it's not sharing your experience and your needs in a support what should be and what could be a very supportive relationship with the supervisor and it's all you know for me I see it as safety for your client there's no point you trying to work with a very stressed situation with a client when you yourself are going through quite a tricky time you're not going to be available to your clients Mm -hmm. that is the bottom line I know when my mum was dying and then eventually died it was incredibly difficult to work in this field with Mm. catastrophic injury, with trauma, emotional responses to events that seemed so much bigger because I was holding a really big trauma myself Mm. um, or a really big, stressful, anxiety-provoking situation. Had I not had the supervision that I had, I'm, I'm not sure that I would have been able to manage my workload effectively enough. Um, for the sake of my client but also crucially for me I I want to be in this game for the long run I don't want to burn out Mm. that's not in anyone's interest certainly not in not mine and not my game plan at all I think it's something that we as a profession set of professions working with personal injury would particularly do well to have built in to our supervision experience is to think about how how stressed we are yeah, and actually you I know. was just thinking, if you were to deny that, if you were to go into supervision and, and hide the fact that you were very stressed, actually mm. it would make it all a lot more stressful too, wouldn't it? If you had yeah. to pretend you were okay when you oh, weren't okay. Absolutely, for sure. And I suppose in a way, 
when you think about naturally, when you think about uh, recognizing or reflecting on those signs and symptoms, you're naturally going to think about what has caused that sign or symptom to present. So recognizing the signs and symptoms would naturally lead you to thinking about the triggers of that sign or symptom. So what has you know, what kind of has caused this reaction, yeah. um, either in so our clients or indeed in ourselves? Yeah, so once you've noticed that sign or symptom, um, you can say, what, what was going on just before that? Or what was that, what were they thinking about? Or what were, what were they thinking mm-hmm. about? What were they doing? What was happening around them? And it could be something that happened just then and there, or it could be something that happened earlier in that week, or it could be something that had been going on for some time. So, so you, maybe you just haven't slept well, or you're worried about a client, or you've got stuff going on at home. Maybe you're hungry. Something to always ask me if I'm not quite myself. Is, <laughs> Do you need a snack? <laughs> uh but you know that's real isn't it hunger is real um and it's real for our clients too you know are they are they hungry are, are they in pain um especially if clients aren't able to talk to us um yeah. if communication's an issue then um I think, you know really basic stuff are they constipated are they in pain do they have sensory needs that aren't being met or is there something in their sensory environment that's upsetting them and there are emotional triggers as well aren't there that Anxious anxiety is a big one. Um, I'm feeling anxious and I'm not sure what's going on anymore. Um, mm-hmm. You know, kind of communicating change or, or routines or changes in routines can trigger a lot of anxiety, which yeah. um, is we know is is strongly linked to stress and the develop yeah, the production of cortisol. Yeah, actually, I just think about clients and that when staff staff teams change or when staff mm. are sick and the impact that has on the client, you know, no, through, through no one's fault. It just it's just one of those things that it's um, you know, those kind of changes that we kind of maybe brush over a little bit for a client, can be a massive deal. Well, I suspect we brush them over ourselves a little bit as well. Mm. Um, I th- I'm I'm not always convinced, certainly from my own perspective, that I'm always as I can manage transitions as well as I, I think I should or I believe I should or I'm expected to. Transitioning from a weekend, for example, can be quite, stre- you know, yeah. to a weekend, sorry, and from a weekend can be quite stressful because I'm yeah. trying to get everything done. So I, you know, the, the, the rationale is that I don't want to be working over the weekend. So I end up working much later on a Friday than I'd like. But equally, I offer, I used to, not so much now, but I used to have very sleepless nights on a Sunday um, because the week ahead would trigger something enough to disrupt my sleep and I'd be a mixture of anxiety and feeling stressed about you know maybe a particular meeting or you know something related to a client situation that was you know up and coming in my diary I I read something recently about how we just accept that not having good sleep is it was almost normal now Mm. and that we're not doing ourselves any favors by accepting that bad sleep is part and parcel of being a modern working person I you know I think we've resigned ourselves to something actually very significantly unhelpful to us that is not going to serve us well and is not going to help manage that finite pot that is Mm. the size that it is in our individual you know minds and will naturally as you say feed into our responses to what life will throw at us be that professional or personally from our personal lives yeah 
I don't want to get too matter on you, but of course we <laughs> we do stress about not sleeping, don't we? And yeah, we stress about stressing. So yes, it's not just that you're stressed; it's then that you're stressing that you're stressed. Yeah, and that's all adding to that pot, all those droplets of stress. I think I remember in when we were uh, training uh, and thinking about the CBT model of stress, that it's this, you know, they're droplets of water, droplets of stress water, if you like, and, and that pot is finite. And how you think about the stress adds more droplets into that very, yeah. uh, that very finite pot that you know is potentially going to be overflowing. When you're a case manager, you're, you're, there's also kind of, and I, and I don't know this, this is actually, I don't necessarily think this is conscious, but there's this idea that you're the person who's going to come and make things better. And I think sometimes yeah. that gets internalised and you think that it means you have to be like this perfect coping machine. Yeah. And to be calm all the time and containing, and actually you're yeah. also human, you're also going to find things stressful too sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me think about the coping strategies then that we have to cope with all of this mm-hmm. stress that we have in our own lives that are brought on us by nature of the work we do. And indeed, our clients have this situation happen to them through no fault of their own in the main and are having to deal with that while trying to live life in the way that life is being lived by them and with their within their family units, etc. If we do not have good coping strategies, ultimately that's not going to help, particularly if there is some very fixed stresses in our lives that we can't do an awful lot about. I suppose if the incoming can't be changed an awful lot or can be changed to some degree, what we can do is make the outgoings um, in, in terms of, you know, kind of how we, how we cope. I'm thinking the tap. Mm-hmm. When you think of the, the stress analogy of the droplets coming in, the tap is the coping strategies that help drain that, that stress cup. Thinking about that, not just for ourselves, but for our clients as well. Yeah. And, and thinking about which things are doing that and which bits are kind of giving us the impression they're doing that, but actually aren't. So like thinking about the large glass of wine or maybe the several large glasses of wine you know might feel very helpful but but maybe not the next day when you feel better in the short term but in the long term it's perhaps contributing to the problem and smoking I think has has a similar cognitive trick because the idea is that you are you're you're actually possibly breathing better because of your cigarette smoking because you're breathing it you're breathing out for longer than you're breathing in and you feel relaxed but Mm. actually it's it's not because of the cigarettes, it's because of your breathing. <laughs> yeah, I can really relate to that as an ex-soper, actually. I do recall ah. that and, and realising that actually the something about that when I stopped, realising that the breathing pattern of breathing out for longer was actually was really mm. helpful and, and actually gave me some of the, some, the same feelings I've been getting while I was smoking. So there's some of these strategies that are helpful and some of them that aren't. Um, I guess we've, we've, we've kind of discussed the, the more obvious like not health so healthy ones I want to talk a little bit about avoidance avoiding meetings that you don't want to go to or phone calls from people who mm. contribute to your stress levels or you know where the situations are contributing to stress levels these are things that again they make you feel better in the short term but not so much in the long term you know you're kind of putting off the stress for later and probably making it worse for later as well mm. really good point avoidance is a short-term solution not a long-term solution I'm just trying to think about how avoidance presents would look like um, in the work that we do. 
um, mm. and maybe it would be things like not answering the phone and maybe avoiding arranging to, to speak to a client who's tricky or a, a pro- an allied professional who's a bit tricky um, mm. or doesn't make us feel good for whatever reason. And I suppose so for cancelling us, cancelling appointments maybe with yeah, therapists uh, or yeah. psychologists are often cancelled. Yes, as you know. <laughs> so yeah, avoiding anything that might be a bit challenging or a bit difficult. I find in uh, our clients can sometimes avoid talking about the tricky thing that happened on a uh, you know on a shift with a particular support worker and and having to bite the con- the idea of kind of biting their tongue and not knowing where mm. to go with that, it does build up. And it fe- seems like in the moment, oh, it just allows them to, to get on with their job. But the ill will and the bad feeling towards that person does grow and it becomes a long-term, more tricky problem, um, mm. sometimes potentially um, unbeknownst to the person who is the tricky person. I mean, having a com- conversation either with the person or with with um, with someone else in the system might really be helpful or, you know, with, with someone external. Uh, can, mm. can be like a, a positive coping strategy you know and yeah. I, I guess thinking about case managers themselves you know you you know are you are you kind of debriefing with someone like maybe a colleague you can talk to and what makes you feel replenished um actually maybe yeah. going for maybe going for a walk I don't know doing some yoga those are like the the textbook kind of things aren't they yeah um, but it's my one is like, uh getting a massage nice nice yeah well, I actually really like <laughs> I really like doing some karate, karate which I was thinking was that people wow. think it's really, really aggressive but um, I don't really think it is I think it's just like yoga really with more shouting um oh. well that's channeling that's channeling isn't it your chi energy we launch straight into what not to do but sometimes yeah. uh, which is Ooh, a classic things, uh, <laughs> yeah what what can we be doing sometimes I've got to say, it's taken me a long time to get to un- an understanding of what works for me. And I'm not even mm. sure that I've honed it down that well yet. It really took a long, it was a process to get to that stage. I have to say that I suppose that I'm, you know, I don't have to feel stressed all the time. That's not me being efficient and good at my job. Mm. That's me being inefficient and potentially putting myself at risk to being crap at my job, um, you know, because I wouldn't be available to my clients. So mm. I, you know, once I come to that realization, yeah, um, I really had to work quite hard to find coping strategies that were adaptive and enjoyable because I, I did try yeah. running. I'm not going to lie. I did try running the textbook yeah. one, as you said earlier, yeah. I hate running. It was actually more stressful trying to make me go running. Yeah. Uh, my husband's a keen runner. I'm not. I just mm. can't do it. Can't be bothered. I think there's a risk when we do this stuff that looks like self-care that actually it's just another way of kind of punishing ourselves or or being mm. um not being kind to ourselves. And actually, yeah, if you and I think that's a good question to ask yourself if you're doing something that feels like it's meant to be healthy and it's meant to be good for you. Are you yeah. doing it out of kindness to yourself or are you doing it because you think you should? Because um, it's the right thing to do because I yeah. read it in a book. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think you use the word replenishment, replenishing. Mm. What feels replenishing? I think for me, that's really a helpful way to think about it. Um, yeah. What ultimately at the end am I, am I going to, is this going to add value to my life in some way? In an em- emotional way, it's not going to look like it's the part, but actually it's just not ticking my boxes for me. And that could be, you know, it's it's so different for different people. And you've got to, I think you've got to be, there's got to be an element of confidence around it that 
this may not be what everyone likes to do. Mm. I really like it. I really like spending two hours in the bathtub, um, you know, with a particular bubble bath, you know, with a, you know, watching a film. You know, I'm Mm. super wrinkly at the end of it, but I tell you, it just does it for me. Brilliant. Or the equivalent. But but really being, being honest with yourself about what it is that works for you and then making the time of course to actually do it because you are worth it at the risk of sounding like a L'Oreal advert it's a double piece of hard work I think doing the assessment on yourself to work out what it is that works and then implementing it and making the space for it because I think the impact of it of that is it becomes part of the neutralizing if you like of um of the stress Mm. you know and and part of that um exponential benefits if you like of 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 a of a of any one coping strategy being busy and being stressed is it's pretty glorified isn't it yeah there's a lot of anxiety in the whole system isn't there I sometimes wonder and I've got no basis for this this is just um, a wondering there's almost limited permission perhaps to be Mm -hmm. stressed in an everyday sense of feeling stressed because our families are stressing us out. Our relationships are stressing us out. The work is busy. When we're working with families and clients where families may be breaking down, that work may have been a dream once upon a time, but isn't now, where relationships would have been what you would have expected this person to have done had it not been for the injury. Mm. And now it's about supporting them to, you know, to have friendships but not necessarily something that that would be a sort of you know that there's a sort of belief that the the romantic element is not an option anymore for whatever reason and it's everything that we that we we struggle with are are things that other people would almost aspire some of our clients would almost aspire to you know I'll, I'll take a relation you know I'll take a you know an annoying child any day I know. Oh, because so that's you, really hard if you're meant to be, mm, you feel like you need to be grateful for stuff too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, I don't, it's just um, a, a thought I was no, thinking I think about and how that would be, you know, a possible thought for some of the people who do, for, for some of the professionals who do work with. Yeah, um, I've got so much to be grateful for in my life. So, yes. so I, you know, I can't now you know begrudge it or be stressed about it because actually look at what's happened to this family yeah, yeah I can, I can exactly. really see that. the thing I I think is important and not always possible but I think it's a really important thing to consider is actually out of the triggers you've identified what can be neutralized what could you get rid of that this culture glorifies busyness and stress yeah. and we can easily get sucked into feeling like we just need to do everything and we just need to cope with it and actually sometimes you can delegate some stuff you can outsource some jobs some things might not be as important as you think they are I think sometimes when we're really stressed we Mm. can get really kind of we can start to think it's vitally important that something happens when actually it's it's really not you know um I I, stress has has a habit of amplifying other stress doesn't it it does yeah. I've started sending out much shorter emails. I used to sort of sit and spend ages sort of thinking about, oh, I need to make sure I, you know, really think about this email and how it comes across and, you know, that it's... And actually, it just meant it was taking too long. Everything was taking too long. And actually, 
it's been quite freeing just to think I'm just going to do a quick response so some things don't need to be perfect I guess that's what I'm saying is actually there's a there was an element of perfectionism in there wasn't there thinking obviously mm. to say something perfectly and actually it doesn't you just need to respond <laughs> um, yeah well there's something about good enough in there isn't there yeah it's having actually, a gauge be, of what is good enough what would be a good enough response and and actually that that can apply to a lot of our work I mean I'm not saying that we shouldn't be striving for a high quality job but some but, but the prioritization that needs to happen within that so sometimes yeah. things can be good enough too yeah definitely I, I often find that even the gauge of what is good enough in certain professions and I you know I wonder if case management would fall into this as well in personal injury mm. professionals but even good enough is probably quite a high standard to be fair yeah. so um so yeah so I, the idea of aiming for perfection is not only incredibly stressful and and frankly impossible having to aim for good enough would, would be I reckon I think that would still be surpassed perhaps or that that is still going to be relatively high because from 10 out of 10 to drop to 7 out of 10 feels like a lot but it's still a first class pass if you were to think of it in university terms but yes that's really that's a really good point um, and I that think. applies to our clients too you know if they are finding some elements of their rehab really hard and what you're seeing is that actually that they've got like five sessions in a week which might be ideal for their for their physical improvement for example but actually it might just be really stressing them out it, it might be about thinking about what would be good enough in terms of physio I'm, I'm picking on the physiotherapist I'm very sorry equally you could say the same of psychology you know actually mm. if they're finding weekly psychology sessions too much or, or an hour long psychology session too much mm. it might be that half an hour would, would be enough um definitely sometimes it, I think and I think this could feel really hard but sometimes it can say actually what would what would be what would be more achievable um less you know less perfect not like perhaps not your perfect rehabilitation program despite there being the funding for it and I think that's hard isn't it when you know there's loads of funding for loads of therapy you want to you want to use it and you want to get the best result for a client but actually it might be that um you need to take a step back and just um think about what would be good enough if, if that's what's contributing to the client's stress levels um yeah. I mean as case managers it's maybe using assistance more if you've got an assistant or um mm. uh thinking about admin jobs that could be outsourced and, and thinking about your own personal stress um you know th- things like outsourcing cooking and laundry and cleaning um <laughs> yes know, please <laughs> buying in more childcare. um you know wh- wh- whatever getting a dog walker I don't know um, <laughs> buying a gusto box once in a while or mindful oh, yeah. chef yeah, <laughs> that's my box. thing <laughs> yeah treat myself as well that's what it feels like it's a double bonus <laughs> yeah so yeah, yeah. So think about what would make life easier because actually if you're that stressed that you're you know that you don't have time or there's a feeling of not enough time then it's actually where can you get time and I suppose that does link in then with being able to focus better on the things that do work and that you do need to put a little bit more effort into to develop yeah. those coping skills um because you're yeah. kind of getting rid of the or outsourcing as you say or getting rid of the things that are that can be tweaked to to neutralize I think you use the word neutralize triggers yeah. And that just gives you then space, presumably, to focus on the things that are working and that do need the effort to help you find, a, I guess, a new way to cope, perhaps, or um, to, can you do, to continue doing more. Yeah. Of so I guess I mean, we're talking here really about making space, aren't we? Neutralising yeah. triggers or making space then for some healthier coping, although potentially you won't need so much of it anyway if, you're, mm. if things have been neutralised. 
yeah I think things like uh, really basic things like getting enough sleep and eating and drinking regularly though that's all neutralizing triggers as well isn't it it's kind of that's healthy lifestyle stuff but again you know if hunger and tiredness is an issue then that would make a difference mm. when people come to me wanting help with their stress levels is is actually just looking at their expectations of themselves um because they're normally too high and uh, you know I, I would and I will do work with people on increasing you know their coping skills and people do want you know they come to me saying please can you increase my coping skills and we could do that you know don't get me wrong there are things we can do that, that are helpful but actually there's a really big question here that I think is, is normally the most important which is actually what are you expecting of yourself and is it realistic and is you know is it kind and and is there something you need to let go of in terms you know you're holding on to, to like this level of stress um because you feel like you should be this busy just I would just urge people to think very carefully about what they're expecting themselves to cope with and whether yeah. it's reasonable and taking into account you know their own uniqueness in that so just yeah. because Sharon up the road is doing it all doesn't mean you should or and doesn't mean that yes doesn't mean that you can uh, yes about um there's something about um living relatively which can actually be unhelpful actually within all of this there's a clear theme coming out for me which is compassion self-compassion and being I suppose in the same way compassionate towards our clients which we're probably better at to be honest with you than self-compassion but in a way that's a bona fide style or or type of um, coping strategy possibly one of the best ones you're likely to find because at the moment we're compassionate to ourselves we're likely to bypass any issues about not being good enough or not deserving and questioning oh gosh no one else does this it's only me who does it or you know kind of judging ourselves and others about the situation that they find themselves in and they should be able to cope and they must be able to cope yeah I think that's a lovely point actually if we are and actually if we know that um if we're compassionate towards other people sorry if we're compassionate towards ourselves it's much easier to be compassionate towards other people we are already activating the right kind of neurological pathways we're already releasing oxytocin and actually it means that we can go in and be genuinely compassionate and caring towards our clients when we're stressed if we're in threat then actually we might be going through the motions and doing what we need to do but we are unlikely to be feeling genuine compassion because our our biology just isn't really wired up to do that if we are really feeling stressed it's very Mm. hard to, to to really have that genuine um, wish to relieve suffering and that that really genuine um, feeling of warmth. So, I, so yeah, I, yeah. I if you can't be compassionate for yourself, then actually be compassionate for yourself for your clients. Because actually, if you're mm. being compassionate towards yourself, it's going to be much easier, and you'll be more consistent at it, and you'll be more believable at it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's something that happened today, but I'm not oh, not really sure it's going to happen tomorrow when I also need it, perhaps. Um, When I think about compassion, I often think about ideas that are very gentle and I suppose, I think you said replenishing. It's a word that's really stuck with me during this this chat today. And um, I'm thinking about uh, mindfulness and we talked about breathing and uh, I think you said karate, but um, I suppose maybe the softer version of that would be sort of Pilates or yoga or something like this. And um, thinking about how those I suppose are more likely to be part of your repertoire of coping strategies if you you know and and we'll 
likely to be stuck to if you, I suppose, you know, people do do it generally, but um, I think it feels like it's more easy to stick to them when, when compassion is involved in, in the mindset. Yeah. And I think the, I think it actually has a, a more of a beneficial impact as well, if you're doing it with compassion in mind, because I think, again, you're activating that neurological pathway for the release of oxytocin. You're, you're being caring towards yourself and you're, Mm. and so when you do that you're generating the right feelings you're generating the feeling of compassion rather than going through the motions with something which is so easy to do and you might get some physical benefit from that and you might get some endorphins that might make you feel better but unless you're doing out of genuine care and compassion for yourself it won't have like the full impact Mm. no I I can see that. that that makes perfect sense Sometimes I wonder if it's seen as a bit of a sort of dirty word because it's said so often and it doesn't always carry meaning and it just makes people feel a little bit uncomfortable as something that they should be doing but aren't doing and don't know how to do. I, I think it can, for some people it can feel stressful um, because it's yeah. not something that they've necessarily, they don't know how to make it happen for themselves but there's so much out there saying that it's, it's the way forward being kind to yourself is um this is always the starting point you've got to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you can give it to other people yet we're in the helping field so how do we give compassion which is such a core quality and and a core role in in what we do when we haven't actually worked it out for ourselves we're putting the mask on other people before we're putting it on ourselves i mean it it has a you know that that's functional but it it doesn't feel like it's by law the right way to do it <laughs> just not as sustainable is it no well that's it in terms of sort of wrapping up our conversation today which has been really helpful in thinking about what the signs and symptoms are you know doing that analysis on ourselves and on our clients thinking about the triggers and what our coping strategies are how to neutralize our triggers but also increasing our coping skills and and bringing compassion into that I guess it's coming back to that point that none of us are immune to stress Mm -hmm. and there has to be an acceptance really about stress being something that all of us have and to deny that of ourselves is the road to burnout Mm -hmm. but it's also going it 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 makes uh, I guess it improves the quality of our relationships with our clients because it it makes us more available to our clients and can make us better at the quality of our relationships with them as well you know life is complicated and stress just adds another complication into the mix which neither I don't think us as professionals would um, advocate as being appropriate and certainly not for our catastrophically injured clients so I think it's been really helpful to have um, I guess an honest conversation about what is stress and that it does exist yes amongst our clients absolutely but also within us personal injury clients and if there is nothing to take away from this podcast other than it's okay to acknowledge one's own your own stress then I think I would be really pleased about that and um, I thank you again for joining us um, Alice it's been um, a really informative chat thank you for having me I look forward to next time. Before you go, 
If you enjoyed the episode today, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate it on whatever platform you're listening on and share and like on your social media profiles. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow and to be a continuous resource for all. And if there's any topic you wish for us to cover, please drop us a line on our website. Thank you so much for all your support. 